What would you think if I told you that you can take Josie's finest shopping center around with you in your pocket? What? What? This is the Rosebank Mall podcast at Rosebank Mall for world-class lifestyle content and updates on your favorite mall. Bringing you a little bit of that Rosebank Mall glamour. Uh-huh. Even when you can't be with us. Okay, ladies, welcome to the podcast. We got Tally Sherbin, who is an audiologist at Hearing Works here at Rosebank Mall. And combined with Hearing Works, it's quite innovative uh, and very new to South Africa is Vision Works. Uh, and Hearing Works is sort of a collaborative storefront, as the ladies are telling me. And of course, the optometrist there at Vision Works is Gersha Ahrens, who joins us here today as well. Ladies, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us here. Thank you. <laughs> Um, so, as, as I've just said, the, the uh, Vision Works, Hearing Works is a collaboration and it's mostly based on a European standard, you ladies were telling me? Yeah. Yeah, in the UK, uh, the collaboration between optometry and audiology is very popular and very commonplace. Um, many of the bigger chain stores, like your Specsavers, optometry combines with audiology, as well as your Boots in the UK. So less common to South Africa, very new here. Excellent, excellent. And uh, of course, your stores are here in Rosebank Mall. Uh, I believe you're on level three if people are looking for you specifically. Okay, great. So ladies, we wanted to talk a little bit about just general health when it comes to our vision and our hearing. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a little chat before we started here about the connection with sinus infections. This is something that I didn't know personally, and I'm sure many other people don't know. Yes. Um, So when you do have a sinus infection, obviously there's uh, inflammation in your cavities over there, which affects your mucus production. How it might affect your eyes is discomfort really. So it could cause dry eyes when you do have a little bit of a flare up um, because your tear layers is now compromised. So your tear layer is made out of three layers. There's a mucus layer at the bottom. Um, and then an aqueous layer and a lipid layer at at the top layer. So if that mucus layer is a little bit compromised, it's not going to, I suppose, moisturize your eyes sufficiently, um, and then that might cause discomfort. Uh, So if you do wear contact lenses, that's quite a, not not a happy situation (laughs) when you do have an infection. Right, so when you have an infection, your eyes become quite uncomfortable, particularly with a contact lens. Yes, yes. Okay. And then, so what you find then is that a lot of people are coming in to to complain about their vision. My vision's now impaired, I'm struggling to see, etc. And meanwhile, the problem isn't necessarily in the eye itself, but rather with a sinus infection. Yes, Yes. or there's something wrong with my contact lens. It feels like something's stuck in my eye or it's not focusing properly or so. Right, and then this connects over to our ears as well and our hearing. Correct. So sinuses relating more to the middle ear, um, where you may experience sensations of a blocked or a full ear, you may have muffled hearing, pain, discomfort, um, almost feel like you're underwater while people are talking to you. Um, this is more related to the eustachian tube, which connects our middle ear to the back of our nose and throat and helps to keep pressure equal within the middle ear system and also helps to drain that mucus that Gosha was talking about out the middle ear via the throat. Um, so when there's a sinus infection, one can get um, that blocked ear feeling, as I was saying, but also um, this inability to equalize pressure. Right. 
So uh, this obviously sounds like there's a lot interconnected uh, in terms of the entire head area of the body. Uh, where we, we've spoken about how the eyes and the ears can be affected by sinus infections. Um, now this relates back to just the relationship in general between the eyes and the ears. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, just going back to middle ear infections, I've had situations where people, you know, they'd come back, my, my prescription isn't right, my prescription isn't right, and then, you know, we go through a whole chain of, okay, well, it's, it's not your eyes, because we've now checked it three times, right. you'll go to a GP, and then eventually, hopefully, somebody ends up at a ear, nose, and throat specialist, and then right. would discover a middle ear infection. Um, it's not always apparent, because I, I suppose symptoms isn't always obvious where there might be pain, or, or something that would tell us, hey, listen, it's your ear. Um, but yeah, some, sometimes we are connected where we'll have to kind of talk to each other and be like, listen, I've got this situation with the person. It's not this, it's not that. What mm. could it be? I've tried different things. It's yes. not working. What yeah. do we do from here? Yeah. And the same on the ear side, you know, um, if people come to see an audiologist first, um, we're able to um, assess the whole ear system from an outer ear, middle ear and inner ear level. And if we pick up that there are middle ear issues, um, we can then get them through to an ENT for the necessary treatment and management. Right. This. Do you know what I think might, where we could connect? Like, what if somebody can't see their little pieces on their uh, hearing? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that could give us a clue of, hey, maybe you should have your eyes checked out because you can't see your little moulds or your numbers on your device. Exactly. Mm. But I often do that, actually. Mm. Yeah, I often, when people, when I see that they're battling with, they like, they don't have any glasses on and I'm not sure if they're wearing contacts mm. or whatever and I can see that they're having to mm. edge closer to stuff to yes. read. Then yes. I know that they, yes. oh, do you need an eye test? <laughs> <laughs> right, well, luckily they're all in one place for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay, so uh, the, the age-old saying, we, we've always heard the old wives tell about eat your carrots and your vision will be so much better. Now, there's obviously a lot of truth to this uh, and a lot of us don't exactly know why. Yes, so it's a yes and no answer. Um, eating carrots does not sort of cure your short-sightedness or far-sightedness or your astigmatism, but right. it can be beneficial for the layers of your retina. So carrots have um, vitamin A and beta carotenes in that it could be quite nutritional for some of the layers of your retina. Um, so it it helps with if you have eye diseases. So it's right. all, it's all has to do with the back of the eye and not really with your what we call your refractive error, which would be short-sightedness or far-sightedness. Um, people who have macular degeneration um, are often put on to multivites or vitamins that are specific w for things related to your eyes that would have carotenes in it or zinc or lutein. So, yeah. Right. It would have to be a, a certain amount of carrots to get that <laughs> dosage right. <laughs> So, so when we're looking at nutrition and our general health mm. and how it affects our eyesight, 
we're not going to fix existing diseases. We're not going to fix it like uh, poor genetics, for example, yeah. if, you, if you're born with just general poor eyesight, mm -hmm. that we're only ever going to fix that with a pair of glasses or, or contact lenses, which we're lucky enough to have now. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of our general nutrition and, and watching what we eat and, and our supplements and our vitamins, mm -hmm. etc., this is more of a long term to sort of stave off the attacks of our age-related uh, eye diseases. Yes. So, so the idea is to slow down the degeneration, um, but not necessarily cure it because right. it's a degeneration, which mm -hmm. technically means that those cells are now right. no longer work. We can't wake them up. Well, this is why we don't live forever in general yeah. anyway. Every, all the cells in our body degenerate over time, and, and the whole idea is to try and stave this off as long as we possibly can. Yeah. Uh, speaking of our general health mm -hmm. and going back to our hearing health, uh, tinnitus is, is a serious disease that affects many people around the world. A lot of people possibly don't even know they have this disease mm. uh, necessarily. And uh, we don't necessarily know the causes of this either. Uh, many people automatically think, oh, well, I'm only going to damage my hearing if I hear really loud noises or I listen to music really loudly for a prolonged period of time, things like that. Mm. But uh, we've recently discovered, well, fairly recently, that there's, there's a lot more that goes into hearing diseases. Right. So tinnitus is less of a disease, not commonly known as a disease, more of a symptom. Right. Um, so we refer to tinnitus as usually a symptom of an ear pathology, usually a hearing loss. Um, and as you were saying, there are many different causes for tinnitus. Uh, the most common causes are your age-related hearing loss or hearing loss in general, um, but then also uh, people that have been exposed to excessively loud noise for short or longer periods of time generally tend to be the sufferers of tinnitus. The less common are your more lifestyle-related illnesses now, like diabetes, for example, mm -hmm. high blood pressure sufferers, um, people who are on certain types of medications, chronic medications, um, certain ototoxic, so toxic to the hair cells in the ear type of medications. Right, and this, the, these ototoxic uh, medications are normally specifically antibiotics and diuretics, things like this? Yeah, high-level anti high antibiotics, statins, um, some type of chemotherapy drugs, mm. TB medication, correct. Right. Okay, so we we sort of gone into quite good detail, I'd say, of our general health and how it affects our hearing, our eyesight, etc. Now, one of the things that's that's gained massive popularity in terms of uh, our eyes in recent years, uh, because of the effects that technology have had on us, is blue light filtering glasses. How this affects our ability to sleep uh, and other eye-related strain, etc. Let's discuss how far we've come in terms of filtering blue light and why this helps us. Yes. Um, so just blue light filtering isn't actual blue light that you see necessarily. Right, right. <laughs> um, all color that we see actually comes from white light that's then broken into a spectrum uh, of colors. Blue wavelengths has been found to be the most... Uh, <sighs> 
I'm trying to think of an appropriate word, <laughs> <laughs> or, or the the wavelength that causes the most havoc. Let's, right. let's say that. Okay. So uh, mostly came comes from digital devices or artificial light, really. Mm -hmm. And how it affects our brains is that it, it makes your eyes uh, a little fatigued, and it. <sighs> hypes your brain up so when it comes to sleeping patterns it's struggling to get into a relaxed mode right and that might affect your sleeping patterns yeah. so we're probably looking at evolution here mm. where human beings haven't gotten the chance to catch up mm. our biology to our production of technology whereas we had access to a lot of blue light waves via natural light yeah. during the day but then at night time there was no access to to these unnatural yeah. blue white light, uh, blue light waves rather, yeah. and uh, this is now affecting our ability to sleep because our biology is like, oh well, hold on, is the sun still out? Do I need to be awake? Do I need to look out for predators? Yeah. What am I looking for? Exactly that. Um, years ago, people actually used to see differently. So as mm -hmm. as we evolve, our eyesight is adapted for. Right. how our world changes. Um, we are finding that people are becoming more and more short-sighted right. because they spend so much time doing close-range things like staring at screens for many hours, and that's not a natural thing to us. Right. So who knows? Maybe one day our bodies will adapt to this, but for now, um, yeah, okay. it does so, affect us. So in particular, the, one of the biggest uh, effects, as you said, is eye fatigue, mm. but then our sleep as well. Mm -hmm. Now, Sleep relates once again back to our hearing, where uh, we've, be, we've discussed tinnitus uh, in detail. Um, and obviously, it can cause a, quite a loud buzzing noise in many people's hearing when they do have this, these symptoms. And this often reduces their ability to sleep, which is then a vicious cycle because then the symptoms worsen. Correct. Usually people will tell you before you even ask them if they have a ringing, a buzzing, a hissing in their ears that it occurs more when things are quiet around them. So during the oh. day I can get, a, get on with things. I'm fine. I don't really hear it for most people. But at night, um, when it's all quiet around them, they can't sleep. Mm -hmm. um, and as you said, then it causes this vicious cycle because once you start focusing on the tinnitus, it becomes more pronounced and mm -hmm. then you start getting anxious about it, you start stressing, that stress causes it to be more and more pronounced and eventually you just can't fall asleep. Lack of sleep um, or poor sleep is also one of the triggers for tinnitus. There are many others. So lifestyle is one of the big um or should I say things in our lifestyle, one of the big mm -hmm. um, triggers for tinnitus, things like caffeine intake, salt intake, alcohol, smoking, um, certain medications that we take that we aren't even aware of that can cause tinnitus. Um, and then also probably the biggest trigger is stress. Stress. Yeah. Okay, so, and obviously we, we live in a world that's very fast-paced now and a lot of people have stressful lives. But we, we, don't, uh, we often associate stress with work, etc. But uh, there are massive emotional stresses that people can undercome. For example, a father has a daughter and a wife in a car accident. Mm -hmm. And they're very ill, they're in hospital, they're getting treatment. And, and this is a massive instant emotional stress upon people. Yes, correct. So very often the tinnitus um, is not just something that is of sudden onset. It, mm -hmm. um, after a traumatic incident like that, obviously it can be, but very often because it's related to 
um, or like I said earlier, symptom of hearing loss, it's usually of more gradual onset. Right. Um, and you would start noticing it, but it doesn't really start affecting your life much. Mm-hmm. Um, as you were saying, with traumatic incidents or trauma in general, um, the tinnitus can be obviously more prevalent, um, more frequent, and needs to be managed a bit more intensely. But on the whole, where you know your GPs or ENTs will generally tell you, um, or the internet, that yeah. there's no cure for tinnitus, or the internet will try and sell you all sorts of marketing gimmicky cures for tinnitus, right. don't buy them. <laughs> don't buy into any of them. Right. The best, um, although there's no known cure for tinnitus, uh, there are ways to manage it. And a lot of the management that we focus on is ties into one's lifestyle. Okay, so it's very important to, if you are having any symptoms of tinnitus, if you're hearing any buzzing or ringing, you're struggling to hear certain things, especially if you're in a quiet uh, setting and you start hearing a lot of ringing and buzzing in your ears, it's important to visit an audiologist right away Correct. and just find out exactly where you where you stand on the spectrum mm-hmm. of these symptoms and then start treating it as soon as you can and, and limit it, its growth. Because Correct. as we said before, uh, it's definitely symptoms that worsen and it creates this vicious cycle where now you sleep less, the, the symptoms become worse. Correct. Uh, and then once again, you're sleeping even less, therefore, and it just becomes worse and worse and worse. Yes, correct. Okay, so in terms of general health and our eyes and our hearing, how often do people need to go and have this checked out? If I'm not experiencing general hearing problems or I don't find that my vision's really that bad, does it make sense for me to still come and see a professional just to have a test? Because these are gradual illnesses or degenerations. Uh, it can be quite gradual. So you don't notice it immediately. You know, a lot of the time, I think with, with eyes in particular, people are like, geez, I just don't see like I did five years ago. You don't notice that your, your vision has deteriorated until you try to look at a book and it's like, well, I'm not 22 anymore. Yeah. Um, and people actually think that these kind of things should be age-related. And I, refractive errors don't choose age. You know, right. I've been wearing glasses since I was nine years old. I'm very <laughs> short-sighted and I wear glasses and contact lenses. That's um, actually absolutely correct. Neither does hearing loss. Right. You know, I always say to people, people often ask me, so where's... You know, at what age is this right for my age? When I show them the right, is this right for my age? (laughs) um, And I go, well, it's difficult to say. There's Mm. a normal range, and even babies can be born with hearing loss Mm. or be born deaf or hearing impaired. So there's no, you know, is this a normal age? Right. Anymore. So you should have an annual eye test. I know a lot of people go according to how their medical aids or medical aid or medical insurances pay, which might mm-hmm. be biannually. If you're a contact lens wearer, you definitely need to have an eye test and annually. Right. Same with hearing. So with hearing, we actually start with um, screening babies at birth. So mm-hmm. within... Um, just after 24 hours from birth, we screen babies. We screen them again at one year of age, three years of age, five years of age, so all through preschool. And then um, I would say uh, for adults, unless there's any specific reason or cause for it, um, to start having regular testing from the age of 40, so annual hearing tests from the age of 40. Now, that's quite interesting. Um, I didn't know that you, you screen babies very early on. Obviously, I'm not a father myself, so there's a, a large gap in my knowledge there, and it's probably something that you learn when you become a parent. Um, 
my curiosity is spiked there because how do you uh, test the baby for hearing? You know, this is this is quite interesting to me. You obviously can't ask them, hey, how's your hearing? They're not going to exactly. describe it to you. <laughs> so with babies, thankfully, we live in an age of amazing technology where we have incredible equipment that is able to use objective measures to test these little ones. Uh, like I said, as soon as 24 hours after birth, mm-hmm. um, we insert different types of probes into their ears while they are fairly still. Um, and although the equipment is quite sensitive to noise around us, it's designed to be able to send various um, stimuli through to the organ of hearing in the little one's inner ear And if there's a response from the sensory hair cells in that organ of hearing, um, the little baby will pass that screening. If there is no response, um, they will refer the screening and then require more objective measures, which we are then able to assess through what we call auditory brainstem response, where we do ABRs um, to be able to assess the little baby's exact hearing thresholds. Right. So there's there's a first mild test, which is the actual hairs in the ear, yeah. uh, which if we have any sort of understanding with how the ears work, there's sound waves that are passing through the ear. This causes the hair in your ears to move and it rubs against a, a membrane of sorts. Yes. Am I correct? Yeah. And then this is what then translates that signal in our brains to... Uh, this is this is this type of noise, this type of noise, yes, etc. Yes. Uh, so these hair follicles are obviously the first point, and yeah. then we then search deeper after that. Yeah. So um, if we're talking in terms of the ear in general, ear anatomy in general, obviously we've got the outer ear, middle ear, and inner ear. Mm-hmm. Without getting too technical, right. sound passes through the outer ear, vibrates across the eardrum or the tympanic membrane, continues to vibrate across the ossicles or the three tiniest, smallest bones in our body and enters the cochlea, which is our organ of hearing. It's in the cochlea um, which where we have the sensory hair cells that oh, then right. those are the little moving hairs um, when they're healthy, not really moving when they are unhealthy, right. abnormal, bent degenerated um, due to various factors and it's through there that the brain receives the signal of sound from the ear and is able to then process the information so Mm -hmm. I always say to people the ears hear the brain listens and interprets and makes sense of what we hear okay so because of my absolutely poor description of (laughs) ear anatomy um I wonder if if it's sort of general poor knowledge on it which I believe it probably is uh, we all sort of learn a little bit of biology in primary school or high school and uh, we forget a lot of the details and maybe we keep little bits. Yeah. Um, but it's nice to refresh our memory and uh, perhaps the anatomy of the eye is something to look at as well. So, for example, dry eyes, red, itchy eyes, things like that. Uh, which area of our eyes are, are we losing our sharpness of vision from? Um, probably your cornea, which is the, the front dome. So you, you've got your eyeball, and then there's another little dome in the front, which is called your cornea. Right. Um, that is covered, not necessarily the, the cornea, but the, the structures around the cornea is covered by your conjunctiva, and that is where the dry eye really happens. Right. Um, so if all of that is uncomfortable, uh, your your vision might be slightly compromised. It's not going to make your vision super blurry. It's right. just more going to feel like there, there might be certain days where your focus is slightly out. 
Right. Okay, I understand. And this is where we treat that with things like eye drops, where we can regularly uh, reduce this itchy, dry eye. Yes. Sometimes it might be your actual vision. So you might have a small little Mm -hmm. prescription that you might need glasses to wear for reading or computer work, and that could be causing or or might give you symptoms of dry eyes as well. So itching, uh, redness, uh, burning, but it might be a visual issue so this is why we go through the eye test and mm-hmm. we check all of these things just to kind of pinpoint okay this is what we need to do or this is what we need to treat right so uh, obviously optometrists you're not sort of allowed to to flat out say to people listen this is the the disease you have etc although you have a pretty good idea as an optometrist yeah. when you're doing tests you'd probably have a pretty good idea that you possibly along these lines, mm. you then thereafter recommend them to go and, and visit someone for specific diseases, etc. Yes, um, and that just has to do with what we call the scope of your practice, and that's set up uh, by uh, medical law in the mm-hmm. country. So yes, we do. We might know what the disease is, um, but you know there's a referral system. So we are a, a primary caregiver. Somebody mm-hmm. comes to us with the problem and say this and this, and we'll go through an eye test and see. Okay, it's not. It's not something that spectacles or contact lenses will fix, so we're going to do another few tests, and then I say, okay, I suspect it's this. Please mm-hmm. go and see an ophthalmologist just to do more extensive testing and then to diagnose a disease. And right, yes. That is very much the same on the audiology front as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in optometry and audiology, we belong to the same um, medical regulatory board, which is the Health Professions Council of South Africa. So as audiologists, we are also not diagnosticians. We are able to, as Gersha said, obtain a, a direction of what we suspect an issue is, and then we're able, able to refer appropriately to a specialist. Okay, excellent. So a lot of this is if you're having any vision trouble, if you're having any uh, uh, hearing trouble, visit your optometrist or your audiologist first. This is sort of your first stop. Um, And then if you do have a more serious problem, of course, we hope you don't, Mm -hmm. please. Uh, But if you do have a more serious problem, you will then be referred thereafter to whichever specialist is necessary. Okay, ladies. Well, we've had time really fly by here. Uh, and we've had a wonderful chat. I just wanted to see if there's anything else that you ladies want to get into specifically from uh, an optometrist point of view or audiologist point of view. I did think of something earlier that Gersha mentioned in terms of sleep with the blue light, and I thought it's quite relevant into how um, there's been a, a research that went on for many, many years that um, recently came out to say that um, people who have hearing loss that is unmanaged or untreated, um, specifically managed with hearing aids or Mm -hmm. amplification, um, are 75% more likely to suffer from cognitive decline. Right. Um, at any point in this life. This is Mm -hmm. not specifically age-related. Right, once again, yes. So this is just any untreated hearing loss that goes on for years and years, unmanaged. Um, Often people know there's a problem, um, but it usually takes people seven years, also based on research, to go for their first hearing test. Right, yeah. And sometimes seven years from that point to do anything about it. (laughs) So by then, a lot of cognitive decline can set in place because when you have a hearing loss, 
um, you have poor lifestyle patterns, one of which is, you know, poor sleep patterns, mm -hmm. but you have, um, you start experiencing social isolation and social withdrawal because you start, uh, because you can't engage or participate in conversation, you can't hear what people are saying and you can't respond appropriately. Um, you start avoiding or withdrawing from conversations and communication in general. And that leads to, you know, yes. um, high anxiety and stress and um, depression, obviously, right. as a result. Which, which we know is all sort of interrelated. And in general health, uh, we know cognitive decline is, is also common with people who don't exercise or don't eat correctly, etc. So uh, there was this sort of perception, I remember in the early 90s when I was growing up, where anyone who, who was into health and fitness in particular and really wanted to go to the gym all the time was perceived as a bit of a numbskull or someone who uh, didn't uh, look to concentrate on the academic side of life, things like that. And a lot of academics made poor choices in terms of the athletic... Uh, lifestyle. The athletic, that's yeah, exactly it. So, you know, also from a nutritional standpoint, there was a lot of fast food because, well, I'm not going to worry about eating leafy greens mm. because I can get a McDonald's burger and actually sit and study and read more books mm. and things like that. Mm. But uh, it's actually counteractive. You know, a lot of just your general health and your general lifestyle uh, assists in your brain development, your mm. ability to do your job, your ability to learn and study and all these sort of things. And I think perhaps this is something that because we're in the podcast world, mm. we're probably speaking to a lot of younger people. Mm. Uh, if you are a student and you are busy in, in, we know how terribly difficult and daunting it can be to study in university where you, you can spend several hours in front of books. It's important to keep all of your, uh, your hearing health, your visual health, and just your general nutrition and lifestyle to a point to ensure that you've got the ability to study correctly. Absolutely. Um, just going back, as we spoke about at what age should you check your hearing, for eyes, uh, you can also screen children. Um, mm -hmm. Babies are, are born farsighted, but by the age of six months, they should have 20-20 vision. If not, it's usually picked up through hand-eye coordination that doesn't go with where they should be at that developmental stage. Right. Um, we do do screenings for children going into what we call big school. So at the age of five, six, seven years, we would do screenings. And that's linked to see whether the child has a visual problem or a learning disability. Because that right. could be, you know, um, sometimes you could find a, that a child might have dyslexia or just a visual just problem. A visual and, problem. And that's why they're struggling to learn to read and so on. And then thereafter, your eyesight will develop. And then in your adult life after your 20s that's when you should have your annual or biannual eye test after the age of 40 everybody's eyesight will deteriorate it's an absolutely natural thing that happens to us um so yeah you will become farsighted or press biopic at that point in your life right so uh, we were discussing the audiology world and, and how the technology has assisted them in early detection amongst infants. Mm. Uh, is there a lot of technology available to optometrists or, or once again, is it mostly picked up through the hand-eye coordination, just sort of the old school educator type where you're looking at this child's not developing correctly, mm -hmm. could it be the child's eyes? Yes, and, and that kind of relies a lot on the parents or the caregivers to right. keep an eye on that type of stuff. Um, I think, you know, when you take your baby for checkups, it's 
briefly looked at. Mm -hmm. So it can be picked up um, by a doctor or by a pediatrician as well. Look, to be um, fair to them, they've got so much to I check know, in every type of visit. That's what I'm so, it yeah, could yeah. be. <laughs> right. Um, but it mainly relies on the caregivers, I suppose. Um, there is objective, a lot of objective technology for testing a baby or a, an infant's vision as well. Um, there are some tests where, you know, they'll kind of see what, what uh, it's called visually evoked preferences. Where, mm -hmm. And it's, it's simple testing. A child will be shown a certain object and the reaction to that will give us an idea of where their vision is at. Ladies, this has been wonderfully interesting and I really thank you for joining us here on the Rosebank Moore podcast. Uh, and I hope that this inspires a lot of people to take better care of themselves and to visit you ladies and ensure that their, uh, their visual and their hearing health is up to scratch. This is uh, Tally Sherburn from Hearing Works, am I correct? Mm -hmm. And then Gersha Ahrens from Vision Works here at Rosebank Mall. Thank you. Uh, yes, sure. Go ahead. Your websites, Instagram handles, Facebook, whatever. Okay. So in terms of hearing works, uh, you can visit us on www.hearing-works.co.za. Um, there is a free online hearing screening that you can mm -hmm. take on the website as well. So please do in the comfort of your home, even off your phone. Um, and then you can visit us on Facebook as well, Hearing Works. Uh, we're not on Instagram yet. Watch for us next year. Right. Uh, just a quick question. Would people need to prepare a set of headphones before doing the hearing tests on the website? Not necessarily. They can be done through your speakerphone as the well. Speaker I, on the phone. I would prefer through headphones, mm -hmm. but they can be done through speakers. Okay, great. And then VisionWorks. Website is www.vision-works.co.za. Right. Um, there is a Facebook page of VisionWorks SA. Mm -hmm. However, VisionWorks has 30 stores, so mm -hmm. each store will then go flow own... into its own VisionWorks SA Rosebank Mall. Right. Um, Instagram, vision underscore works underscore Rosebank. Right. Okay. So, ladies, thank you so much once again, and we'll chat again soon. Thank you. So we're lucky enough to have kept Gersha in studio here with us to talk a little bit more about VisionWorks and, and our eye health and mm -hmm. the product offering at VisionWorks, which is something that we didn't get into. Uh, of course, Tally had an appointment and we obviously don't want to disappoint any customers who really need to check on that ear health that we've been talking about <laughs> in such detail. But luckily you have some time to spend with us. Yes. Um, so when you go through your eye test and we find your prescription and we now decide on a treatment plan, which is usually, okay, we're going to do spectacles or contact lenses. Well, when you wear contact lenses, you actually do still need to get a pair of spectacles because you can't wear them as for as long as you wear uh, glasses. Right. Yes. Um, different types of lenses. It can be age-related as well. So if you're younger than the age of 40, you might fit into what we call a single vision lens or an accommodative support lens. So that would be, okay, you are short-sighted, you are far-sighted, or you have astigmatism, or you have that combined. Right. Um, then we get into bifocal, contact, uh, bifocal lenses or multifocal lenses which is more for your 40 plus mm -hmm. so that's where you start to become farsighted or press biopic and then that will also happen in conjunction with whatever eye or refractive area you already had 
Right. So, and, and sorry to, mm. to get the layman's angle yes. on this. Is this where you find as people are aging, they're tending to hold books further and further away exactly. from their faces so that they can read the words? Exactly that. Right. Okay. And then these multifocals, they're mm-hmm. quite a bit more expensive to produce, yes. I'm sure. So yes. therefore, obviously, the retail price is going to be yes. a little bit more pricey. Yes. Most of the of the high end quality products are not locally manufactured, so mm-hmm. this is the reason why we have to wait seven to ten working days for them wow. to get back yeah. to us in the country. And then also the technology around making the lens is very different from doing a um, single vision lens because you now have multi multiple focal points in this one lens, and there's a whole procedure as to how that is done. And then people need to get quite used to how to use those as yeah. well. It's not as simple as, as your sort of single focal yeah. lens. Like put them on and Put I them see. on and I see better yeah. and this has just improved my yes. vision. There's actually a little bit of now visual technique that goes along to using these glasses. Yes. Um, you know, so we would say look straight ahead. That's where your distance vision should be focused. If you're looking at your com- computer screen, you're looking through this area. If you are mm-hmm. holding a book to read, you should use it um, kind of at a downward angle, 30 to 40 centimeters away from your face, and you look through this area right. of the lens. It so sounds still, like a lot of right, work, right, right. but people do adapt. Right, so it's sort of still keeping your chin up and looking downward with your eyes only. Yeah. Eye movements more than eye head movement. movements. Right, yes. correct. Okay, so this is a lot of information that people mm. don't necessarily know where glasses are glasses are glasses yep. to us as, yeah. as the common person. Yes. But um, multifocals is something that comes in, particularly with older people, but it's not specifically only for them? No, no. So you could have an accommodative problem at a young mm-hmm. age and then we would have to fit you into a multifunctional or an accommodative support lens as well. So accommodation is your eyes ability to change um, focus from far distance to close distance and then also detail size. So your lens does this little movement um, when it has to focus different kind of distances and if that movement lacks that's where the accommodative problem would come in. Right and I, I know that this isn't normally a problem for some of the older people who are looking at getting multifocals, but with younger people in particular, mm-hmm. is how does this affect the fashionable ability of my glasses? So a multifocal or accommodative support lens looks like a single vision lens. So right. it's not a bifocal lens where there's a clear segment marked on the lens where you mm-hmm. will see, oh, this person needs extra which help is, for reading. Which is something that, that was there in the past. Am I correct? Yes, right. yes, before multifocals were developed. Right. Um, so nobody needs to know. Right, so <laughs> you sort of look exactly the same. You have the same option in terms of your range of frames available to you, etc. So you can be as fashionable. You can get into the police and the Lacoste and the diesel glasses frames range still uh, without actually having this effect of that, oh, well, now people can automatically see quite how bad my eyes are. Yes, the only thing with, with frames is it can't be too narrow because now right. we have to accommodate multiple focal points and we need a little bit of space. So there is a guideline right. as to how big the lens size needs to be. So Doesn't is this mean a thickness issue or the, the actual lens size, so the surface area of the lens? Yes, so we call it lens depth. So it doesn't right. necessarily mean you have to have these huge lenses, but right. it, it can't be too narrow either. So you're yeah. not necessarily having to be Alton Johnson glasses <laughs> uh, but you also can't go for the really thin streamline 
Then it's fine. Then it's fine. Right. Um, thickness comes in where we look at what your prescription is. Right. So worse vision will have thicker lenses, unfortunately. Right. right. So this is the give and take of it. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Um, let's let's go into a little bit of detail we were discussing off air about the confusion around medical aid. Now, this is something that I don't think we're going to fix in one or two or three afternoons Mm -hmm. of talking, but at least we can get a little bit of insight from your side of things, what a medical aid covers, Mm -hmm. how different medical aids cover different things, Mm -hmm. and why is the patron still responsible for their portion of payments? Sure. So um, we have guideline prices from Mm -hmm. the South African Optometric Association where, you know, this lens costs this price and we can't charge you more or less uh, for that particular product. So you're regulated by a governing body in South Africa where, so just to keep all the pricing competitive, and and this is probably because it's related to health, you know, so for example, if I open a certain type of store like shoes, if I feel that my shoes are more valuable than your shoes, I can sell shoes for whatever price. But because ours are related to health, you guys can't just go all crazy and charging whatever you want. So this is quite regulated. Yes, you can, but there are kind of like caps. Uh, Like I can't charge you 500 rand for something that everybody else is charging you 300 rand for. I can, but I shouldn't, especially not when it comes to your medical aid. Medical aid set tariffs for us. Right. So they will tell us, okay, an eye test, we pay this amount for an eye test, this amount for a lens, this amount for a frame, Mm -hmm. um, and then we kind of bill you according to that. Medical aids can say we will exclude treatments like tinting or anti-reflection coatings. Therefore, the member or the patient has to cover that portion themselves. But we have to send the entire claim to the medical aid. Um, for example, and, um, sorry yeah. to interrupt, uh, the blue light filtering yes. that we discussed earlier, this is probably something that medical aid won't cover either. Yes, so that would be a, a lens add-on. Mm. Right. Um, uh, depends on the medical aid. So medical aids are, it depends on the option that you are mm-hmm. on with that particular medical aid. So they will tell you, you have a guaranteed optometric benefit. We will pay for an eye test, a set of lenses, um, and this amount towards a frame. Anything over and above that is at the member's own cost. Um, you get plans where they pay from your day-to-day mm-hmm. benefit. Uh, for example, discovery, your medical savings account, they might say to you, we've got 20,000 Rand for you for the year that you can use of that amount. You can go and spend five at the optometrist. Mm-hmm. It's not a separate five. It's right. part of that pool. Um, and people often go, oh, you're saying I'm out of savings, but I have 5,000 Rand for optometry. It comes yes, from, from that. From a pool. So yes. they used, so if they don't have any money in the savings for optometry, even though they didn't spend it in optometry, that uh, amount was now allocated by the medical aid when they used it on other sections of the savings, whether it be medication or things like that. Yes. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's it's great to clear up a little bit of the medical aid confusion because it can be quite ambiguous and strange at times. Yes. What do people need to do then? Are they able to approach you beforehand, tell you their plan and get a better idea from it? Do you, you guys are in regular contact with the medical aid so you'll know what is covered beforehand so that people aren't given this massive shock? Yes, yes. So you can choose as a practice whether you want to accept payment from medical mm-hmm. aids or just from the members. So some people do cash practices where they will give you an invoice, you have to pay 
for it and then claim it back from your medical aid yourself. We mm-hmm. offer services where we claim directly to the medical aids that we are contracted into. Um, so, yes, we do check what the offering is before we right. do the eye test. And then um, most of the time people kind of want their quotation structured around that benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's uh, all healthcare is not cheap. So you Right, know, we, of course. Yeah, so we're quite considerate of that. Right. So uh, our recommendation for someone who does, doesn't want to get into a big scare, you've got medical aid, you're not sure of what you're going to be covered for, how do I go about approaching you and saying, look, I, I need to do an eye test and, and uh, I need glasses. Mm-hmm. What am I going to be covered for? So you can tell us which medical aid you are on, present mm-hmm. us with your card or your digital card. We will then either phone the medical aid or check on our, on an online system what mm-hmm. the offering is and we would be able to give you a guideline. Right, and roughly how long does this take? Would they be able to do this coming into store, wait five minutes and find out or is this something that could possibly take some time? It could happen in store. Mm-hmm. Um, the medical aids that are not on, on what we call real-time interaction, uh, if you come on a Sunday, we might not be able right, to get them course. on the phone mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we'd have to wait for a Monday to check that type right. of thing. Okay, yeah. excellent. So uh, if someone is looking to do uh, an eye test and to get like some really cool snazzy frames and, and some glasses done, uh, come in store first, get yourself a quotation Find out if you what portion your medical aid covers, so that you don't get into a big scare uh, once it's done already, and then go ahead and get your eyes tested. Tricky to do a quotation before the eye test right. because we do need the prescription to determine mm, the type of lenses, sense. and very often the lenses are actually the pricey part right. of the total cost, and people seem to think it's the frame. Right. It depends. Like if we get into the multifocal lenses, most of the time the lenses will cost more than frames do, unless you are buying a Cartier frame that costs right. lots of money. Right, right, I understand. Yeah. Um, I, I'm probably asking the wrong question here but it's a sort of question that i think most people would want to ask yeah roughly how long uh would a set of lenses last the average person how quickly does one's eyes deteriorate where you need to come back and and i mean we've discussed regular artists mm-hmm. on an annual or biannual basis uh, mm-hmm. your personal recommendation was annual um but how often do you think that the actual lenses will change for the average person it could be biannually or annually as well. Right. It's really person dependent. Right. So um, if you are short-sighted like myself, um, at some point in my mid-20s, my vision stabilized. So my prescription stayed the same for many years. Right. Um, so I could wear glasses from five years ago and still be able to see with it. Uh, it would then just depend on how well you take care of it. Because let's say if you get little micro scratches on your lenses that are not very um, apparent mm-hmm. as a scratch, it might affect the clarity of what you see through that lens. So a lens should last you the two years, the recommended time for mm-hmm. when you're supposed to go and do your next eye test. could last you five years. It, it depends on how well you take care of it, the quality of the product that you decided to purchase, and then how often your prescription changes. Right. And then these add-ons that we were talking about in sort of like tints and filters and mm-hmm. anti-glare filters mm-hmm. and things like this, uh, I've heard mm-hmm. that uh, this could affect the longevity of your glasses where these filters, for example, can deteriorate faster than the lens itself. So, for example, if you have an anti-glare film on it, 
that glare exposed to a lot of heat or light, mm. etc., can begin to crack and then your glasses are now no longer any good. Yes, I'm actually happy that you asked this question because when we when we go through an eye test and we ask you your case history or, or we're now at the end of it and we tell you about would or ask you, would you like lens additions? This is what we can offer you. And mm-hmm. people go, well, I don't really look at a screen a lot. I don't need anti-glare. Right. But your cell phone is a screen. Right. And Absolutely. you look at that all, all day. day. <laughs> and we all do. We all do. Yes. We can't claim to not. Yes. Um, yes and no. Again, it depends on the quality of the of the coating. So mm-hmm. if we talk about anti-glares, I would tell you, well, there's a range. We can do this at this price and this at this price. Mm-hmm. And the, here are the differences between them. And this one will probably last a little bit longer because there are more layers to it than a standard product, etc. Um Right, so people need to come in and they need to ask questions. Yes. I think this is this is very important. Don't yes. be afraid of asking your optometrist yes. all the questions. Yes. Uh, if I have anti-glare, uh, what does this benefit me? Yes. Uh, you know, I have a lot of, for example, myself, I have a lot of eye strain when driving at night, yes. having the lights coming yes. at yes. me, and I find that the anti-glare has helped me yes. substantially with that. Yes. Um, blue light filtering is now something we discussed. This yes. is fairly new to yes. uh, to the world of optometry, at least with the nice-looking lenses and <laughs> to add it onto our clear lenses. Yeah. I know that the blue light filtering was quite ugly a few years ago, uh, yeah. but now it's something that we can add in. It's certainly something that people should be looking at. Uh, yes. Improve your sleep because you are stuck to your phones and TV screens yes. and computer screens, etc., yes. all day. Um, and... Uh, just ask your optometrist questions. Yes, exactly that. This blue light filter might also not be for you. For example, right. if you had a a profession where you had to edit visual stuff and right, coloring is very mm-hmm. important, we would give you a different type of anti-reflection co- uh, coating as opposed to blue light filter. Right, for like someone like me, for example, if I'm editing the video version of this podcast, uh, the blue light filter will affect the actual color. Yes. On that screen, so I not, won't be able to not see. Hectically, right. Not hectically, but uh, enough but to make amazing, sure that yeah. my color correction wouldn't be absolutely correct. Yes. Right. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Gersha. This is uh, Gersha Aarons from Vision Works here at Rosebank Mall joining us in the podcast today. Thank you Thank so much. Thank you.